So the big question is this, how do value-obsessed leaders ascend their business and life to world-class levels of effectiveness, even if they're inside a bureaucracy or starting from scratch with absolutely no capital? That is the question, and this podcast is going to bring you the answer. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is the Terminal Value Podcast. All right. So today's episode is with Dan McClure. And what we're going to be talking about is actually a the way that a different career path is needed and emerging with the disruptive economy. But this is actually an amazing conversation. I had a lot of fun talking with Dan and sheathing the role that he calls the choreographer, which of course I descript- discovered was completely descriptive of my career up until the point when I was ultimately terminated in a sense, for being a choreographer. Uh, So this is an amazing listen. It's definitely worth your time. And let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Dan McClure with us today. And what we're going to be talking about is some of the new career paths that are going to be that, that are going to be emerging in the what we call the disruption economy. So the background here is that the idea of Uh, industry or niche or even sector disruption is becoming a way of life, Uh, you know, and the idea of, you know, just having, just trying to survive disruption with incremental change is really becoming obsolete. And so what that means is there's actually new new job roles and new career paths that are and will be emerging in this new environment. And Dan's going to be talking about that a little bit. I don't want to steal his thunder, but Dan, first start by introducing yourself and let's talk about some of these new career paths that are emerging. Yeah. Well, so this is sort of a case of eating my own dog food. I've been living this new career path for years and years and years. And my background is really working in and with organizations that have been going through disruptive change. So Uh about six months out of college, I found myself in a disrupted industry that was going through massive deregulation. And I found out that I liked it. And so I've stayed in that field of dealing with organizations that have to either respond to big external pressures like, you know, deregulation or something like that, Mm -hmm. or who are actually pursuing new market opportunities. So they see a new technology that allows them to approach the market differently, or they're being forced by competitors to reimagine their value proposition. And so they've got to not simply incrementally improve themselves, not become a better dinosaur, but actually reimagine the way they approach their entire business. And that's an enterprise-wide activity for most organizations that are successful in this. Well, and and I think there's a couple of really important nuggets uh, inside what you said that I want to unpack a little bit. And because, you know, of course, you know, I, I spent, you know, 20 years with a corporate career and it was in the technology industry, although, you know, the technology industry at least where I came from, but similar to a lot of other industries, which is where there is a pretty prevalent top-down management style. Now, I think the, you know, this is you know not unique, but I think that top-down leadership is actually probably the singularly worst way <laughs> to try to deal with disruptive change because it will necessarily be slow, it will necessarily be risk-averse, and you know, it will necessarily be trying to do things incrementally as opposed to exponentially. Now, Tell me your thoughts and poke holes in my hypothesis. So certainly top-down management as we know it today was developed in the 20th century specifically to 
run organizations that could do the same thing over and over and yeah. be really precise and consistent about what they were doing. You know, everything in some ways in the 20th century was a factory. And whether that was an office yeah. or any other kind of business world in which you have to reinvent your organization, as you said, is not going to be well suited for top down yeah. management. And it's been interesting to see the evolution because in some ways, organizations began to realize this and they were like, but I don't want to give up, up my top down management. So what I'm going to do instead is find ways to drive disruptive innovation without actually giving up my teddy bear. And one of the things that became very popular, and you saw this like in some of the early writing by Clayton Christensen, et cetera, is mm -hmm. creating the spin-off or the innovation lab. You know, this area, sort of the Shangri-La, where you could go and do innovation and do something big and different and not disturb the big beast. And, and so I was going to say, I actually used to work at Intel Corp, which was one of the, when Clayton Christensen wrote The Innovator's Dilemma, yeah. Intel is, was one of the primary inspiration behind that book because it had a primary business, central processing units, and you know, yeah. later on, and yeah. complementary product being chipsets for personal computers, laptops, et cetera, which are ridiculously profitable, like unbelievably yeah. profitable. And so the problem that you run into with that type of situation is that when you have a core product line or a core service line or a core business line that is horrendously profitable, but eventually hits a growth plateau, is that you will systematically de-emphasize other business segments or other business opportunities because you'll have all your focus will be put on the main core business. And one of the things that I observed at Intel was I actually observed there'd be an oscillating cycle. One cycle would be, hey, we need to grow these new businesses. So they just dump untold amounts of money into these businesses that really had no financial viability whatsoever. And then they'd say, oh my God, we're wasting too much money. We need to focus on the core. And so then what they do is they dump a whole bunch of money into enabling activities for the core business that didn't move the needle at all. And then they'd say, oh my God, we need to go back and develop new businesses. There'd be this oscillating cycle of wasting money. And it just baffled me. I mean, it didn't baffle me how they could get away with it. I saw the financials, but it just baffled me that nobody ever was ever called on the carpet for this. Well, and I think... It's sometimes interesting. The flaw is hidden in part of the conversation when you talk about them being two different things. Mm -hmm. So I've got a core business and I've got an innovation area. And that, though, that you could go back and forth between those two really implies that the challenge here is that the core business is seen as separate from the type of change that you want to make. What we're seeing today is it's not possible to do this sort of, I've got a separate thing and I'm going to go do that while I'm keeping my dinosaur alive. Yeah. We've got to reinvent the dinosaur. And that type of innovation requires changes across this core business that are more than incremental improvement, where you're really moving the Lego blocks around. We call it system innovation, but it's you're reimagining how all of these Lego blocks that you've got as your core assets can be reused in different and new ways. And that requires a new roles. Well, uh, and uh, so I think this is actually, this is where we get into the career path conversation. But yeah. before we get there, one of the things I want to ask your opinion about is that, okay, so 
What we're really talking about is that on a regular cadence, you almost need to be fundamentally changing the DNA of you know, rather large, rather, you know, rather significant companies. Complex. Yeah. yeah, complex companies. Okay, so when you do that, that is threatening to earnings, that is threatening to career paths. Is that something realistically expect the board of directors and senior leadership in these companies to consistently do? So I think there's different stories for different folks. Board of directors, absolutely. If you know that you're basically driving the bus off the cliff, it may be difficult to make the changes that you need. But, you know, an obsolete company isn't going to make money for anybody. And so you absolutely need to do it. Now, whether you can get a board of directors to believe that that's what's happening, that's a different question. But from a fiduciary responsibility, that's exactly what a board of directors should be pushing senior management to do. So they should actually be sitting with a big stick on senior management and saying, have you reinvented yourself this year? Now, Senior management could get behind this. Senior management could be extremely excited about like we're doing something big and we're doing something new. And oftentimes the people on the ground are equally excited. The challenge you have is that you've got a frozen middle oftentimes in organization, a middle management layer whose job is to not change things. You know, their job is to keep things the way they are. And oftentimes that's the layer where there's very little incentive for them to play along with let's reimagine the entire organization. I think that is extremely accurate. And I believe that is a good setup for what we were talking about in the pre-show conversation, the choreographer, which is basically a, I don't know if it's an archetype, just if it's a kind of larger archetype of a career path, or if it's a specific job, I'm sure you're going to fill us in, but tell us about what you envision as this choreographer role and where it fits into the, uh, the company that is looking to not just survive, but harness disruption for its ongoing competitive advantage. Well, so let's imagine what it takes for an organization to become reinvented, to reimagine yeah. themselves. They could throw out everything and just start from scratch. But at that point, like what's your advantage in the marketplace compared to everybody else? If you're just throwing everything away. So instead, what you need to do is you need to figure out how to take all the Lego blocks that you have, the assets that are part of your current DNA and say, I'm going to recombine them and move them around, use them in new partnerships. And for that, somebody has to not look from the top down, but Mm -hmm. rather needs to look across the organization. Somebody needs to be saying, I need to change the way we go to market, but I also need to change the way we support this product. And I also need to change the partnerships I get. This is not a top-down role. This is a cross-cutting role. And so a choreographer's job basically is to figure out how to reimagine the weave of the company where you're bringing all these pieces together. And oftentimes they won't even have a boss in the conventional Mm -hmm. set of it's, you know, sense yeah. of the term, there'll be somebody who is looking across all sorts of different parts of the silos of an organization and even outside to combine pieces together. Well, and so I, I will say, A, I think that is something that, that's utterly necessary. Uh, and B, 
I have seen an attempt to do that before. And here's what I saw, which is going to be comedic when people hear about it is that, so what ends up happening is you have somebody basically a kind of mid-level, mid-career person. They say, Hey, you know what? Your job is to try to figure out how to meld all the pieces together. Go, okay, go out and talk with everybody, go out, figure out, meld all the pieces together and say, all right, these are the changes that we need to make in order to be, in order to survive disruption. Absolutely not. That isn't going to happen annual review time comes around. What do you do? You just talk to people all day. There's no tangible results. Sorry. You're at the bottom of your rank group. That happens twice in a row. You're out of here. Hit the bricks. Yeah. And how do we reconcile the two of those? (laughs) So, so there's a couple of things. And by the way, you're absolutely correct. There was actually a study that Bain did a number of years ago that looked at different Myers-Briggs personality types and the type of personality that choreographer is big picture thinking, yeah. free to move, not tied to you know deep structure, yeah. that personality type is more likely to lose their job as a senior executive than somebody who yeah. you know, follows more of the traditional top-down leadership yeah. roles. And so that's a real phenomenon. And one of the challenges today is to figure out how not to kill your choreographers as an organization. We looked at one organization that had 200 roles that by rights could have been these choreographers. So they were in a fast moving, rapidly evolving industry. They needed lots of reimagining of their product. Of those 200 roles that could be choreographers cross-cutting, Instead, all 200 were filled with frozen middle project managers. And so a big part of this is recognizing and identifying the role for the organization, finding the right people to be in those roles, and then, as you mentioned, providing the kind of support and yeah. you know, guidance for them to be successful. Well, and, and I think you're dead on. And, you know, because kind of where I was going with my, you know, I was going to say my somewhat joking, but unfortunately a little too serious example uh, is that I think it extends beyond just having a job role and having a career path where you really need to extend this in order to be successful with it is you need to look at how it weaves into your performance evaluation process, you know, because you know, anything that is not held up, recognized and valued in the performance evaluation process will eventually be de-emphasized regardless of what you have on a PowerPoint slide. Exactly. And I think this is why we need to give the role a name. What we found was as we tried to talk about this role, there was no official name in organizations. And as a matter of fact, when we looked across business and we said, well, so what's the closest name? There was none. We actually had to go into the arts to find this kind of role. And so in the arts, you find it all over the place, showrunner, director, choreographer, And so we settled on choreographer, but really the key thing here was not the specific word, but the fact that the role has a name. Once a role has a name, you can say, and it has these expectations and the expectations need to be aligned around what you want to achieve, which is, you know, cross-cutting change, integrating efforts across the organization, reimagining where the organization is going. Yeah, uh, precisely, precisely. Well, okay, so I think we've we've just unpacked kind of the idea of what needs to happen. And so if somebody's listening to this conversation and they're thinking, okay, 
how do I put this into place in my company? And I'm going to make you do a two for one. So let's say if you're an existing, you know, kind of an existing, say mid to large size company, or if let's say that you're a startup, right? You know, you're starting out, it's just you, maybe you and a couple of virtual assistants, or maybe you and another person and a couple of virtual assistants. How do you put this in play in those two types of situations? Let me start with the entrepreneur. A lot of entrepreneurs actually are choreographers. They became entrepreneurs because, because they, they got looked, booted out because they, they ended up on the wrong too side many of the times. politics. That's how I ended up here. That's yeah. how I ended up here. <laughs> exactly. And it seems like it ought to be a good place because you don't have that, you know, existing structure, the, you know, preference for, you know, consistency and, you know, yeah. just repetitive process. But there is a challenge for the choreographer who's working as an entrepreneur and that you don't have a lot of Lego blocks available to you. And so you're basically a person who by nature wants to combine Lego blocks and you've put yourself in a Lego block poor environment. And so an awful lot of being an entrepreneur choreographer is figuring out how to take your relatively limited resources and weave them together in an effective way. I really like the way that you said that. (laughs) Yeah. And it can be really exciting because in some ways the entire world is your Lego box. And, you know, at some point, if if we get a chance, I can tell you about Hind Hobienka, who was a really inspiring version of that. But let me talk, let me go back to your other one, which was the enterprise. In the enterprise environment, what we really need to be aware of is we need to define that. We need to define the desire to have the change. Uh So if you're not motivated by doing big, ambitious, transformational, you know, approaches to the marketplace, you're not going to need this role. But once you've got that, then you need to define the role. And then you need to find people who are appropriate for that role. And one of the interesting things about this is, Oftentimes, the choreographers in your organization will be in hiding. They will, the ones that have survived long enough to still be there, will have figured out a way to not let you know that they're choreographers. And so oftentimes, what you'll find is if you, for example, in the olden days of business analysts, the worst business analysts were probably your choreographers. Probably. And um, so part of this is just... You know, creating well, a spot I, I, that they well, and can I'm just unpacking survive. that a little bit because you know, yeah. like you know, you're a good business analyst is going to say, okay, what are the requirements? You know, how, exactly. you know, how, how does it go in? You know, and what will happen is a choreographer is going to say, why are we doing this in the first place? You know, this, you know, that we we're already three years behind. This is the wrong project, and they'd say, okay, well, you, sir, you need to get with the program. Yeah, and they're going to do things that make things seem more complex but ultimately are going to be more, more successful. And I'd say this is one of the key traits of a choreographer is they see the power and the value of complexity. Instead of seeing it as something to be smashed down because it makes a project higher risk, they see complexity as something that makes creativity more powerful and makes it more likely that you'll actually succeed in the end. Oh, interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, I I derailed you for a second. So continue on your prior thought thought train. Well, no, I think, you know, in both cases, you've got to look at what makes a choreographer successful. And first off, it's an individual who's a natural generalist. You know, the phrase, you know, um, jack of all trades, master of none. 
What a choreographer is, is a master of generalism. They know a great deal about, they know a lot about a lot of things. Well, and, and I would articulate that because, because what you were almost perfectly describing is the overwhelming majority of my career. And the way yep. that I would describe that is they are a master of connecting dots because so if you are a piece. deep master, if you have deep mastery in any one domain, you will by necessity not have working knowledge in a whole bunch of other domains. And the only way you can connect the dots across domains is if you have a material amount of knowledge in a whole bunch of different unrelated domains. And it's really interesting when you start looking at choreographers' resumes, they often look like fruit salad. (laughs) So, you know, the folks that I work with and that are the best choreographers often have just ludicrous resumes. One of the best choreographers I worked with had his you know, bachelor's degree in classical Greek literature and which you would say, all right, so how is that useful? I still don't know, but he was fabulous at taking broad areas of knowledge Mm -hmm. and using them to connect the dots. There's a third skill. So if we say generalism, connect the dots, the third is the willingness to work across boundaries. And that takes a certain amount of courage and rebel fever kind of, to be willing to work without necessarily having formal approval to go talk to everybody, but just wander out. And that's a personality type. So you'd combine those three, the ability to have a big picture, generalist perspective, connecting dots, work across boundaries, and then you put a fourth one, which is the ability to tell stories choreographers are imagining new futures. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of what they need to do as their job description is tell the story about what the future is going to look like and tell it in a way that's compelling to each of the actors. So, you know, before we talked about board members, executives, middle management, people on the ground, choreography needs to be able to tell in some ways the same story, but in a different way to each one of those. Oh, that is uh, that that is excellent. Well, okay, so I think now is a really good time. So we're going to tease the link here. So I think you've just given us a really great taste. If we want to learn more, where do we go to? Because I think we just barely cracked the tip of the iceberg. I can only imagine, based on the depth of conversation, that there's a whole lot more underneath the water. Yeah. So we spend a lot of time writing articles. We're in the process of pulling together a book that talks Beautiful. about system innovation as a whole. Um, innovationecosystem.com is our website where we've got stuff thrown and such. And, you know, honestly, we enjoy talking with people about this. One of the most exciting things for me is I'll do a presentation. I'll do a talk. And back in the days when you actually did talks in front of people, right. And people will dash up and at the end of the session and it's like i'm a choreographer this is what i've been doing my entire life and so i think you know just people reaching out people talking connecting on this is a big part of this too just realizing that you're not defective you're not a failure in the corporate world you are actually part of the next generation of what's going to make be necessary for organizations to be successful. Outstanding. All right. Well, Dan, hey, I really appreciate your time today. It's a wonderful conversation. Yeah. No, I love talking about this. Being a choreographer myself, it's just (laughs) great to see that history has caught up with us and given us a reason for being. 
Excellent. Thank you for listening to the Terminal Value Podcast. Please feel free to visit me online at www.terminalvalue.biz where you can subscribe, find me on social, and then we can connect and just keep the conversation going. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you and I hope you have a wonderful day. All rights reserved. No part of this broadcast may be produced in any form by any means without written permission from Business of Life, LLC. All trademarks and brands referred to herein are the property of their respective owners.